All right, y'all. Welcome to RUF. My name is Simon Stokes. I'm the RUF campus minister here. It's great to see you all and great to be with you all this week. Um, we, this semester, are going through a sermon series, uh, not through any one particular book of the Bible, um, but through a theme that pervades a lot of our lives, which is dating, marriage, relationships, sex. And for the last four weeks, what we've done is we've looked at our relationship to relationships, our relationship to ourselves, our relationship to being a man or looking for a man, or our, and then our relationship to being a woman who desires marriage or a man who desires such a woman. And we've kind of been building to, the, to tonight, and hopefully this, this whole series builds on itself, uh, but we're building to just dating. What does it take to date? And so we're going to talk about dating for this week and next week. And then after that, we're going to talk about uh, sex and marriage. <coughs> and sorry, I've got a little bit of a cough here. But two disclaimers as we jump into this. One, just for this whole series, just know this. The Bible says nothing about dating in the way that we do it. Dating is this totally modern cultural invention. And so tonight, next week, is mostly my personal experience, uh, collected wisdom of other pastors, books, podcasts, biblical principles, the whole thing kind of squeezed into these two sermons. Uh, beware of anyone that tells you this is God's way of dating. Um, this is the Christian way to date. Uh, dating is this modern invention. We're in the realm of wisdom. And so there's a big box that we can fit this in. But I'm trying to give us big, big principles here. Um, so that's one caveat. Second caveat is this. I made a lot of mistakes in dating. And just know that I have some regrets from the way that I dated a long time ago. And so I'm not telling you to date like me. If anything, I'd like you to date better than I dated. So those are my caveats here. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to read from Proverbs. It's on your sheet right here. I'm going to pray for us. I'll get started. Beginning of Proverbs right here. 1, 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let me pray for us and we'll get started. Um, Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom and instruction tonight. Um, Lord, that you would lead us in knowledge. And this thing that feels like such a huge deal in our lives, um, so much of what we yearn for and long for and agonize over, um, God revolves around um, the people that we want to date. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us wisdom tonight on how to approach that. And, God, that you'd be with us as we do. In your name we pray. Amen. <coughs> so, I'm going to look at this. I'm going to have three points tonight if you're taking notes. These are my three points. Uh, I want to talk about the confusion of dating. I want to talk about the corruption of dating. And I want to talk about the course correction of dating. Three C's. Write this down in your calendar. This never happens. Um, but, one, think about the confusion of dating. This proverb starts off as saying, it's, this is wisdom for the young. This is wisdom for people who are starting their life out and trying to think about what does it look like for me to live well? Because wisdom is the art of godly living. And it's not a science. It's like we said, there's no one way to date. 
It's an art. But we want to talk about big principles of it. And some of the big principles of dating, to do it wisely, is knowing where do I begin, where do you end, and then what are the components to this relationship. Because if you think about it, every relationship has two parts of it. It's got a definition, what is it, how should we define that, and then flowing from it, there's kind of the behaviors, the expectations that are appropriate to that relationship. And everyone is like that. Most are pretty intuitive, right? Like your relationship to your parents, you know how that goes. Your relationship to your professors, you know how that goes. But when we enter into those relationships and our expectations are met, it's great. And when we, don't enter, when we do enter into those relationships and they're not met, it isn't great. Or if it's not met in some way that's appropriate, it isn't great. You've got to work on some stuff. And dating for a lot of us is confusing because of how we define it and how we act in it. And this is why it takes wisdom. There was another campus minister who lived, not lived a long time ago, but was a campus minister a long time ago named Les Newsom. He was from Ole Miss. Um, and he tells a story about this girl that he knew comes into his office and she sits down. And she starts to tell him how her and this guy had decided, to, had decided to make it official. And they're now boyfriend and girlfriend. And he's like, oh, that's awesome. How neat. I'm so glad for y'all. Because he knew her and they had some kind of rapport together. He said, okay, well, Let's do this. Let me play devil's advocate with you. Um, what's different today about your relationship than what it was before yesterday when you had that DTR? What's changed? And she said, oh, well, uh, well, we're exclusive. We're dating each other now. He says, well, okay, but if you think about it, that's not really what's changed. It's not really a new thing. You've kind of been just seeing each other and hanging out with one another exclusively for a while now. And she's confused, and she thinks that he's not really for the relationship. And he's like, no, 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 look, I love y'all, I'm for y'all, definitely in your corner. But let me ask you this. Say a month from now, you met another guy, and you wanted to start dating him. What would have to happen? And she says, oh, I, don't, I don't know. I, I mean, I guess I'd have to break up with him in order for me to date somebody else. And he said, that's the key. That's the key. Here's what he was getting at. When you start dating somebody and you decide to make it official and you have that conversation, it feels different, right? Like you've got a word for it. You've got a definition. You seemingly answer the question about what we are, but what's confusing about it is that nothing has really changed about your relationship for the simple fact that you can do the same thing with somebody else tomorrow if you wanted to. Like you could end the relationship, walk away, and there's no real ramifications in your life. And they could do the same thing to you. Like in dating, you feel like you're committing to one another. You're setting up a definition with this other person of commitment. It's like, it's you and me now, just the two of us, honey bun, right? But what it actually is, is it's not a commitment for the simple reason you could just end it for any reason at any time and start it else with, up with someone else. And that's the confusing part about dating. Because what it is... And what it feels like, they don't align. Why is this? Why does it feel like this and it actually is this? What's so different? Well, think about how we even approach dating. Just think about how it all starts. Traditionally, it begins with meeting someone, noticing them. You have kind of a flirty conversation. You lock eyes from across the room, right? You notice them. They notice you back. This can happen anywhere. It can happen at a football game. It could happen at the back of RUF, waiting in line at Rams. 
Maybe they call you out on the UNC Crushes Instagram account. Uh, put your name in one blank, put a message in the next blank, right? Suddenly you're like, oh, dang, I know who that person is, right? Like, this leads to step two. And this is an important step, so you're going to want to write this down. You stalk them on Instagram. And you're scrolling through their pictures, and you're trying not to accidentally double-click any of them. Uh, but maybe, maybe you send them a DM or a snap or a text. And this kind of this goes on. This cat and mouse goes on for a little bit, right? And you, then you, maybe you log some time together with them in groups or class or whatever. And then comes the ver- like whatever version of there is of a first date. And this could be formal, like a real like ask out where the guy looks her in the eye and says, hey, I would like to go out with you on a date this Friday. Would you be willing to go out with me on a date? That's exactly right. It almost never happens, right? It, it's like an exotic animal that you've heard about and seen in books, but you've never actually seen in real life, but you've heard about it. Usually what it is, usually what it is, it's an informal day, right? Like everyone's hanging out in a group and then people start to kind of drift out and leave. And then, oh, what do you know? We're the last ones together. We're just hanging out. We're talking free date, right? Free date. You didn't even have to organize it. Your friends organized it. Or (coughs) you run into them at Davis late at night and you all decide to go on a cookout run together like 1 a.m. And before you know it, you're in the back of someone's car, eating milkshakes, looking at the stars, talking. It's so beautiful. It's so great. But it's, it's like this informal date, right? And they're way more popular because the guy is completely relieved of the pressure to risk anything in the relationship. Because he's terrified. He's terrified. So after a while of doing this, you're kind of together-ish, right? And this is kind of this awkward, weird gray zone because you're, you're into this person. You know they're kind of into you. And your friends are like, hey, what's up with you and so-and-so? Like I see you liked a lot of their pictures. Are y'all – it's frustrating, right? Because you don't even know how to answer it. And so what we've done is we've taken uh, like this in-between phase and given a title. We say that we're talking, right? Like – we're unofficially official. And once you're talking and hanging for a while, you eventually have the real talk. When I was dating back in the, the aughts, the early aughts of the 2000s, we called it the DTR, define the relationship. Is that still a thing? People still call it that? <laughs> Maybe a little bit. But you talk it out and you agree, ah, we're dating. Like you shot your shot. You're dating. It's awesome, right? It's like once you've said that word, your relationship has crossed the threshold into something new. You're off the market. Sorry, everybody else. It's official. It's a thing. And once this formalized thing starts, new things start with it. Like you get fun new titles, boyfriend or girlfriend. The door opens up on physicality and that like ramps up, right? You start spending a ton of time together. You meet the parents maybe. And it can feel like at this point you're bound together. You belong together. It's destiny. You're committed to one another. You're an item because that's how you've defined it. And of course, what's so confusing about this whole thing is that's all it is. That's just how you've defined it. Because you're not really bound to one another. I know that it feels like that. It feels like you're committed to one another. But for the simple fact that one or both of you could end it tomorrow and start the same thing up with someone else, that's not commitment. Even if it feels like commitment. And that's really confusing. 
And that's the traditional way of dating. The more modern sort of hookup way of dating begins at a party or a bar, and there's usually some drinking to help give a little liquid courage, get things off the ground. Some sort of physical encounter takes place, maybe sex, maybe not. But generally, it's about raw desire. And how far you go depends on lots of different factors. But how you start things off usually begins with that kind of encounter. And you wake up the next morning, you feel like you've bonded this person in some way. And even though our culture tells you that hooking up uh, is just purely physical, it's a no-cost deal, there's still something inside of you that doesn't quite resonate with that. And you feel like you've bonded yourself to this other person because you've taken the most vulnerable part of yourself and you've connected the most vulnerable part of them. And eventually you'll talk and maybe you hook up again. Maybe there's this pattern that. And after a while of doing that, you'll have the conversation where you try to evaluate what it is that you're doing exactly. And you said, okay, uh, we're dating. We're just going to see each other. And you've got the titles, you've got the behaviors, you feel bonded, you feel committed. But again, objectively speaking, you're not really committed. So what it feels like is commitment, but what it is, is not commitment. And the two are radically different things, which is why dating is so confusing and it's so hard. Because dating is making an exclusive commitment that by definition is not exclusive and not a commitment. And if that sounds bananas, it's because it is. I mean, if that's confusing you, it's because it is confusing because that's the way we approach these things. I mean, some of you, I know, are afraid to enter into dating because it's so confusing. And you have no idea what you're doing, but it feels like you're putting your heart on the line. It's this public thing, (coughs) which is terrifying. And you don't want to start because you don't want to make a mistake with something that feels so important. Others of you are trying it, and it's like you're just taking your lumps as you go along, and it's so hard. And so the way that we react to this confusion actually corrupts these relationships. Um, There was a movie that came out, uh, gosh, probably about 10 years ago. You should totally see it, though, if you haven't. It's got Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He plays a guy named Tom. And then Zoe Deschanel from New Girl. She plays a girl named Summer. It's called 500 Days of Summer. It's a great movie. And... What, what Tom and some are doing is they're doing the modern approach to dating. They've been hooking up, but they've intentionally avoided calling what they're doing dating. And there's this amazing scene where Tom has gotten increasingly frustrated with Summer and how things are going in the relationship. He wants more. He's like a romantic. He's a lover. He wants something official. And this is what he says. He says, look, we don't have to put a label on it. It's fine. I get it. But I just need some consistency. I need to know that you're not going to wake up in the morning and feel differently. And she says to him, I can't give you that. And I think that captures the struggle and the, compa- the pain and the confusion of dating so well. Because you know when you're in a dating relationship that the person that you're with could wake up tomorrow and feel totally different from, about you. I mean, the fear of that is the source of like 95% of all the drama that goes on in relationships. Because either one of you is like really catching feelings and you're starting to pull away and you're avoiding the other person because you're like, well, they're going to end it eventually. So I better go ahead and end it before they end it. I'm just going to push them out. And that's part of the drama, right? Or the other person is like, no, 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 I'm in love with you. I'm clinging to you. Let's spend all our time together. Let's just look in each other's eyes and just like 
takes selfies, and then posts those selfies in as many places as humanly possible. And they're basically begging you to be committed and stay with you. And then the other person's like, whoa, 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 this is too much. And then they leave, and it confirms that person's worst fears. Like, do, like, do you see how the confusion kind of corrupts all that? Like, that means that a dating relationship, because it is temporary and because it is fragile, has this baseline of fear and insecurity just baked into it. Like, there's no way to get around it. Usually someone who's been dating for two months has a relationship that is way, way, way more casual than somebody who's been dating for two years. But if you think about it, it's still the same thing. It's still just dating. And neither one of those people know if the person that they're with is going to change how they feel tomorrow. Like, I I didn't like what you wore. Uh, You've gotten annoying. You've gotten clingy. I don't see a future for us. And they just cut it out. This is why we analyze everything. We analyze text messages and how quickly they respond to text or like really subtle signals. Um, Do they look at me in a funny way? Do they not look at me? Like how, how am I supposed to read that? Because we're afraid we're going to lose this other person. Because it's a committed, non-committal relationship. And we do everything we can to make sure the relationship doesn't change. And so what we do is to avoid this fear and insecurity, we corrupt dating because we transform our dating relationships to look like many marriages. And here's the corruption of dating in a nutshell, right? Like out of insecurity... We fuse the expectations and the behaviors and the obligations of marriage into the dating relationship. And remember, every relationship has these two components, this definition of what it is and the behaviors that go along with it. And when you do that in a way that's inappropriate, what happens is it gets corrupted. Like, think about it like this. Uh, Like, for example, coaches, when they're trying to psych their players up before a big game, like, they chest bump them. They get in their face and they yell at them. They're like, let's go, let's go. They, like, as they run out of the locker room, they'll like, slap them on the butt, right? And that's totally appropriate. Like, that's the way it goes in sports. But if you were to take a midterm this week and your professor stood at the door of the classroom, <laughs> yeah, you see where I'm going here, right? <laughs> You're laughing because it's not appropriate. Uh, but if your professor stood at the door of the classroom this, before this big ch- test and was like, chest bumping you it was like in your face like you got this let's go and then like as you finish the test it's like butt slap butt slap butt slap like that would be so messed up right that would be a corruption of the relationship right all right go back to 500 days of summer tom wants to be official summer doesn't want to be official here's her response to her non-committal attitude she turns around, she says, I can't give you that. He says, don't pull that with me. Don't even try. This is not how you treat your friend. Kissing in the copy room, they were coworkers. Holding hands in Ikea, shower sex. Come on, friends, really? Well, his point is that they're relating like they're married. But damage is being done because the definition of what they are doesn't align with the behaviors and the expectations of what they're actually doing. And when you put all the expectations of marriage into dating, 
in order to deal with the fear and the insecurity that's inherent in dating, then what happens is you damage to yourself and the other person. There's two examples. When this happens, one or both people tend to expect a right to the other person's time. So here's how this goes. One of you says, hey, what are you doing this weekend? And the other says, oh, you know me, sugar bear. Uh, I was just going to go and go back home on Saturday and kick it with some friends from high school. I was going to come back with the boys and go to the game. Why? Like, why are you asking? And the other person's like, friends from high school? And then the game? What about me? I don't think so. We're hanging out. And the other person's like, well, I kind of already made plans. And then they get angry and the fight starts, right? It gets corrupted because they think they have a right to your time. And they're making these obligations on you because of that. Or here's the other thing that gets corrupted. They think they have a right to your body. Like we're formalized. We're this established thing. And so come on. Let's start kissing. Let's start taking clothes off. Like isn't it like I'm, I'm your person. Like, don't I have the right to this? And different couples draw lines at different places, but it's just assumed that you're going to do something physical. That at some level, your boyfriend or your girlfriend has some right to your body if you're dating. And then you kind of fool around. It leads to all kinds of pain and drama. Dating gets corrupted because we take the expectations that make sense of marriage and you put them into dating. This is why when you break up, it feels like a divorce. Because it was basically this mini-marriage. Like you've shat- you're shattered because the person that you acted like you were married with was- is gone now. But that was the person that used to comfort you and used to care for you. But now they're the person that broke your heart and they're gone. And it's devastating. Like dating is way too flimsy for the way that we're treating it. Like It'll get crushed under the weight of these kinds of marital expectations. It's like putting a UNC linebacker on the roof of your house, and then he jumps off, and you're supposed to be down there like ready to catch him, right? Like You could never hold that kind of weight. The same thing is true when you put the weight and the expectations of marriage onto dating. And to be honest, healthy marriages never relate like this. Like They don't demand that they spend all their time together or know exactly where the other person is all the time or what they're doing all the time. Like, this is why dating relationships tend to be very afraid of conflict because you never know if the next fight is going to be the one that blows it all up, where your relationship gets exposed or you get exposed by your anger and your fight, and this person just walks away because they can do that. Like, in marriage, that's not the case. Healthy marriages have conflict and fighting. That's as normal as a thunderstorm that comes in on a summer's day and then goes. But when we date, we tend to give too much of ourselves emotionally and physically to the other person because we have to make them stay. Because we've locked them in and we've locked ourselves into this kind of mini marriage. So you're trying to glue yourself to this other person because you're desperate, desperate that they stick around and you hold on tight and you cling. But the more you cling, the more this other person uses you or they end up running away because it's just too much. Or you stay silent about real problems you might have and real fights that you probably need to have, but you're just afraid. Like your expectations and approach are on a marriage level, but the formal commitment is not. And it's confusing and it's corrupted. How do we fix that? Does this mean that we don't date? 
Of course not. Dating isn't wrong. It just requires wisdom. Um, I've got a a few ideas here. One, um, we need to honor the definition of what dating actually is. Like dating is just two friends trying to figure out if they want to get married. That's all it is. It has to be built on friendship because most of marriage is friendship. But the question you have to ask yourself is, is this person the kind of friend that I could do life with? And that, what that does is that starts to take a lot of the pressure out of things. Like in Christian circles especially, we tend to make things way too pressurized. Like I'm not going to date this person unless I know that I want to marry them. I mean it sounds spiritual because we tend to approach spirituality as a way to keep from making mistakes or avoiding hard things in life. But being a Christian should actually help you take risk, which might lead to legitimate mistakes. And it should help you embrace doing hard things. Like, how can you figure out if you want to marry this person unless you date them? I mean, I guess your other option would be like arranged marriage, but that's a very different dating series than the one that I'm planning on doing. Um, but it'd be a shorter one, right? Um, <laughs> but how can you figure out how to date if you never take the risk? Like, if it's a marriage-level relationship from day one, of course that feels terrifying to you. Like, you don't know that the cutie and econ is the one. Like, you've got to date and figure it out, right? But if dating is just two friends who are trying to figure stuff out, it takes a lot of the pressure off of you. And it clarifies what the expectations are in that relationship. All right, so that's one idea. Two, another thing you need to understand is that no matter how official you are, like, this person is not yours. Our tendency is that when we have the talk, It's like we've marked this other person's belonging to us. Like we're an item. She's my girlfriend. He's my boyfriend. I have exclusive access to them. We do everything together. We own each other on some level, right? But something you need to understand is that the healthiest relationships don't relate to each other in terms of rights, but they relate to each other in terms of privileges. Like I get to do this with you. I get to pursue you in this way. I get to be pursued by you in this way. Look, the best way to relate to this other person (coughs) is to have a stance toward them that says, look, you don't owe me anything. But if you're willing to give me time and attention and see where this thing is going, I think we could figure some stuff out. But I just want you to know on the front end, it's a gift for me to get to know you in a romantic way. I'm just glad to do that with you right here. Don't think in terms of rights. Think in terms of privileges. All right, this takes me to the last point, the course correction of dating. Um, what, what would it take to be this kind of hands-off with another person? Uh, to have the kind of inner equilibrium and security and assurance that you would need to be able to do dating like this. Like, where would you get that? Look at the last verse up there. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Um, We talked about this some last week. But the fear of the Lord is not being afraid that God is going to crush you. The fear of the Lord is knowing God and loving God in such a way that you orient your life around who he is and what he says. And you're like, I don't want to hurt him. I don't want to offend him. I want to live in a way that he's told me to live because I think that's the best way to live. Look, it, that kind of fear overcomes all of our other fears of dating and this other person. Do they like me? Do they like me enough? Am I likable enough? It overcomes those fears because this committed covenant love that you get on the front end. 
that God loves you. He redeems you. He cares for you. That he loves you in this moment more than any other spouse could love you. Especially more than a boyfriend or a girlfriend could. And the way that you know that is because he put your fear and your insecurity and your shame and your mistakes on Jesus. And he crushed him for those things so that he could love you in a perfect way. You see, he has a love for you that won't let you go. And when you know that and internalize it and wrap your life around that, that love will push out all your other fears. You'll be able to say to another person, look, I don't know if I even know what I want from this. But whatever happens, what I do hope is that in the end, I can say that I did my best to love this person in a way that honored the Lord. Look, this is why we talk about grace all the time in RUF. Not only is it true, but it's so practical in the parts of your life that matter the most to you. Because what you need to see to be wise in this is that God is going to be good to you whether you date and marry. And he's going to be good to you whether you never date and never marry. And when you know that, deep down in your heart, when you know that reality, Jesus is enough for you. It changes your needs and preferences. Like, I'd like to be with them. I'd like to be dating. But if not, it's not going to destroy me. I can be single. I can be content because Jesus is actually enough for me. Look, next week we'll talk about what this looks like to put in practice. But until then, what I want to do is I want to just have you imagine what would it mean for a dating relationship if you entered into it not with fear and insecurity, but with that kind of confidence and wholeness of being clear with yourself and another person of I want to figure out what it means to have a wise love where I know where these things end and what we're about and where it begins. I want to start by just getting the privilege of spending time with you and seeing where we go. Um, I got permission from a friend of ours uh, to tell this story. Um, we have a friend. She was in our wedding uh, like 13 years ago now. And she was staying with us a couple of years ago. And she's really, really great, very accomplished woman. She's my age, so nearly 40. And she's single. And she was staying at our house. And one of our kids asked a question of her that she said she gets a lot from kids. And uh, one of our kids asked her, she asked her, where is your husband? And this is a friend of mine who's 40. She's single. And I thought to myself, oh, gosh, kids say the darndest things. Why did she say this? Uh, I, and I was getting ready to apologize. My friend said this. She says, she takes it all in stride. And she says, I have Jesus. And I have my family and my friends. And to be honest, I'd love to be married one day, but I'm already loved. And I don't need someone else to make me lovable. Does that sound crazy to some of y'all? Like, what if it's actually the sanest thing that you could ever say? And what if that kind of sanity was the beginning of wisdom for you in dating? Like, I would love to be married one day, but I'm already loved. I don't need someone else to make me lovable. Because the gospel is true, to be a Christian means that's our, that is true of you. And what I want to do is I want to invite you into that wisdom so you can date other people in a way that's sane. Amen.
Let me pray for us. Um, Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you that you revealed um, what it means to know you, to love you, to walk with you on a cross. Um, Lord, that you've given yourself to us. You've emptied yourself for us. God, fill us with that kind of unshakable love so that we could approach things that feel like love and approach relationships that feel at times like everything and put them in the right place. God, give us perspective for that. Help us to love the people that we date in a way that honors you. Lord, help us to long to want to date in a way that makes sense of your world is actually really sane. God, let us walk in your ways and give us wisdom where we are so foolish. In your name we pray, amen.